0: Hello, members of my Twitter blocklist. Welcome to Beyond Geek by Night, where we will be discussing each episode of the Geek by Night podcast leading up to the series finale. On today's episode, we will be discussing the fourth story arc, Under the Bridge. So put back your Orphan Black comics, say the password to the secret lair behind the arcade, and record a poorly lit personal takedown for your YouTube channel. Because we're about to go Beyond Geek by Night. I'm your host, Matt Bennett. I'm joined today by creator and executive producer Scott Corelli. Hello again, everyone. Composer of Geek by Night and voice of Max Carmichael, Scott Tofty.
1: Hello there.
0: Voice of Jeff Gibson, Chris O'Connor. Hi. And voice of The Ire, Mark Allen Jr. Hello, everyone. Welcome. Just to recap, in this story arc, Under the Bridge, comprising episodes 13 through 16, Gibson acts like a total dick to Underdog Comics customer Amanda. Feeling self-righteous and angry, he runs into the ire and is introduced to his cabal of angry, disenfranchised neckbeards, the Devil's Advocates. Amanda makes a YouTube video to criticize Gibson's behavior toward her. The Underdogs plan an event to make up for that incident. Max Carmichael unsurprisingly crashes the event, and the ire attempts to use Jeff to attack underdog comics. Thankfully, Gibson experiences a change of heart, and with the help from Victor, neutralizes the threat. Accepted back into his group of friends, Gibson apologizes to Amanda and reevaluates his toxic tendencies. Elsewhere, the ire and the mysterious woman discuss the failure of their joint plan and begin to hatch a new one. Bum, bum, bum. This brings back so many memories. So many sinister yes. eggs. <laughs> oh, this is one of my favorite episodes. So I'm really excited to talk about this one.
1: I went back so, and listened to a little bit of it just to to bone up because it's been, it's been quite a while. So I'm excited yeah. to also hear about it and remember it.
2: <laughs> I
1: don't remember how it ends.
3: It's great. Yeah, do I die? I don't remember. <laughs> yeah, I've listened,
2: to, I've listened to part one, two, and three, and then I remember most of what happens at the end. But I haven't actually listened to so, the last bit of Matt, it
1: in a while. Matt, we get to ask you questions, right? That's how this happens. Yes. You get to remind <laughs> yes, us what actually, happens. You, won't, in this you don't talk
0: much, yes. <laughs> I dodge a bullet. Yeah. <laughs> uh, something I like to start out with uh, when I'm talking to somebody who hasn't been on Beyond Geek by Net yet is uh, asking about how you got involved with the show. What was your history? Were you involved with the original show? Um, and you know what was your audition process and so forth. So. I figured since this episode is about Gibson, we would start with Chris. How did you get involved with Geek By Night? What's your your history? Uh, Can you well, remember that far back? <laughs> I, I do. I
2: do. I'm, old, I'm far older than I was, but not so old that I can't remember. Um, yeah, I, I had been doing uh, Buffy Between the Lines, and uh, I think that was the only podcasting and audio drama stuff I'd done, but... You know that sort of group. Uh, like uh, Scott infiltrated them and uh, put out the the request for you know auditions and put out some lines. I and did? I was like, "Yeah, I'll read." Shut up. <laughs> <laughs> it's funny because there's two Scotts. Oh. Yeah, yeah. Pipe down, other Scott. Uh, <laughs> Scott Two. Relegated to other Scott now. Mega <laughs> Scott. Anyway, yeah. So he, he they put out the auditions, and I was like, "Oh, that could be fun." And so I recorded some lines and sent them in, and there we go. And I, I, yeah, that was 2006, 7? Oh, eight. yeah, I guess
4: it was. Yeah, 6 or 7. <laughs> it ended in 8. So, yeah, yeah. 6 or 7.
0: Uh, what about you, Tofty? Because you also, uh, you compose for the show as well. So, you've got a lot of involvement.
1: Oh, my God. You have no idea how much I've done for this show. Um, <laughs> so... <laughs> Wow, that sounded super cocky, and I apologize. I did not intend it to. Um, I am no, nodding I've, my
2: head vigorously. So it's I all think me. I,
1: I talked about this in one of the. We did like these between episode interview things when the the mm-hmm. new series first aired, and I talked about this a little. We bit. did. So I yeah, I uh, found out about Buffy Between the Lines. I think on I don't know. I feel like it was like Live Journal. I don't know. It was a long time ago. Tumblr? Who knows? That was um, a time. I do Tumblr t- even existed in two thousand. <laughs> probably not. Six. Myspace? But, uh, Friendster? Might have been, ah! It might have been Myspace. <laughs> um, but I was like, eh, I'm living in the north country of New York in the you know red area of the state where I have nobody that I can talk to that's my own age. Let's do a podcast. So I sat in on auditions. I got cast as like some side vampire in that. And then the person who was casting and running Buffy Between the Lines – told me about this other show that needed a character, like their actor had left and they were kind of in a pinch. Would I want to try out? And I was like, yeah, okay, cool. So I did. It was geek by night. And uh, I think it was like the third or fourth episode in where Max showed up as a character. So did that, loved that, had a super blast doing it, spent a year trying to be as good as Chris O'Connor. Um, and Aww. Then, I know. And then uh, the show went away. And then at one point, Corelli messaged me. He was like, hey, I'm thinking of making this comic book. And I was like, I can draw. He's like, cool, draw pages. So I drew five. And (laughs) and that went away. (laughs) You're you're a busy guy, Top (laughs) Team. I don't finish things. I'm very slow. Um, That went away. And then word happened that this was going on. He wanted to do a revival. And he's like, I want to do it right. Will you compose music for it? And I was like, hell yeah. So in addition to doing Max again for this and spending another year trying to be as good as Chris O'Connor, I uh, got to flex my compositional chops and did my best version
0: of The Princess Bride. <laughs> <laughs> Had you composed for anything before? I, I mean, yeah. I
1: mean, I hadn't scored anything. No. Uh, up until this, I, I mean, I'm a songwriter, so I've written a lot of songs. I always have riffs and melodies on guitar. I came up. Uh, as a musician through like the high school band and then ended up going to college for music ed was a percussion major so it was like playing four mallet marimba and learning piano and doing composition and that stuff but i hadn't done anything set to a scene so this was it was really really hard in the beginning and you can actually hear in the first episode the music sounds one very certain way it's a lot of guitars a lot of more sort of like rock type stuff and then by like the second episode corelli was like yeah that's not really what i think i want so we sort of just shifted the tone of the composition um well that but- was actually
4: that's actually different from because that was the, the the we shifted from that but that was already the second version because the first version you did was more like sitcom-y where oh, the it
1: transitions was, yeah yeah I yeah you, I had you know all these that's right. I forgot all those like between-scene transitions. Seinfeld mm-hmm. bass. Corelli did yeah. not like those. <laughs> Scrambled <laughs> so eggs. I changed those. I was thinking more of the, like, the play-the-game theme and the best-friends yeah. theme with Gibson mm-hmm. and uh, Elliot. So that stuff was all guitar-based. And then I just ended up composing everything in uh, Logic on my computer and trying to do a more orchestral kind of thing it's still Mm -hmm. very like percussion influenced there's a lot of xylophone in there i tried my damnedest to establish like character themes Mm -hmm. that varied throughout the course of the show and that like sort of looped into other pieces like you can hear lorelei's theme in a lot of stuff you can hear max's theme in a ton of stuff um yeah so it was fun i hadn't done it before it was it was a super fun time and now because i've done that I do all these podcast themes for like movies by minute podcasts for Scott's podcasts. How, how many of hours. those have you done now? I have a lot. It's on my website, ScottTofty.com. Mm-hmm.
4: <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's uh it it's honestly his score, Tofty's score is like a godsend because, you know, in the original version of the show, there was no score. Um, and so oh. I had to try and think of some kind of sound for every power and it never really made any sense most of the time it was just like yeah we're just going to associate this sound with this power um <laughs> i don't know how else to do this and then tofti came up with the the powers theme and i'm like Oh, I can just play that mm-hmm. every time <laughs> every somebody time. uses their <laughs> power now.
1: <laughs> and everyone knows what's happening. It's yes. amazing. Oh,
4: something weird is happening. Oh, That's the other secret weapon.
1: Other secret weapon in that score is the celeste. That uh, little toy piano sound is mm-hmm. all over that score.
2: Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I swear that, that, that sound, that little sort of toy piano, kind of makes me think of those old, like, uh, 90s LucasArts games. <laughs>
1: <laughs> yeah, sure.
2: Yeah. Cool. <laughs> i'll take it let's see wait a
1: minute lucas arts john williams you sound like john williams yes i'll take that yeah is. Yes. Yeah, that's the
2: yeah sam and max hit the road
1: <laughs> there you go
0: so i'm definitely gonna have more questions about music later but sure. next i want to go to mark uh and ask you how did you get involved with geek by night
3: well i i've been voice acting for a while and i think i missed the first round for this particular show uh, but my friend uh, Natalie Van Sistine actually was, I believe, part of that original run, uh, or maybe not. I'm not entirely. Sure. I don't.
4: I don't think she was. I think she was later because she she didn't get cast in a part until
3: after you actually. Which is weird because I found <laughs> out about the audition for the ire through her. She had shared it on Facebook, and so I that was how I ended up finding out about it and sent in an audition. And Scott was like, "Yeah." it was a pretty it was a pretty harmless process for me um but at the time i had been lamenting over uh you know the ups and downs of the voiceover career in la and uh you know it it came at a time when i was like okay i think i'm gonna start doing radio plays again because actually where i got my start uh was in in radio plays and, and audio dramas back in 2006 2007 so it was it was a time when i was Really upset with where my career was and needed something that was going to fulfill me creative, creatively, mm. um, I speak for a living and um, <laughs> no we, it, all it was... we all do all <laughs> <laughs> do no, I don't but it was really nice. it came out at a, at, a, at a perfect time and and the ire is such a character like there's there's so much uh, aggression that you can channel into a character like that that you regularly don't get in most uh acting opportunities so yeah, it was it was really nice to return to radio plays and have the kind of freedom uh, that that allows.
0: So, had you played anybody like the Ire before? Because he is uh, a lot. Not <laughs> not like
3: the Ire. No, I, I, the Ire is the first character I've played who is basically rage incarnate. Um, he's very similar to a character that I played for a, a, a television series that was claymated. That never saw the light of day in the U.S., but was in like 19 countries worldwide, and nobody has ever heard of it, which is amazing. Um, but I played a character named Motor, who is a, a genius paraplegic creator who's 13 years old, and um, when I, I I I was actually recast into that role, and and decided uh, the first session that I went in to record for that role that. You know, all of his, all all the sample lines that I'd been given, everything that i had looked at before, he was very monotonous and very one tone and sort of that stereotypical, I'm a nerd genius character. And I decided that there were a couple of moments in the script that we were working where he was supposed to get angry. And I was like, you know what, I'm just going to go for it. And if it's too much, they'll tell me to dial it back. Mm -hmm. And so I just went off. I mean, just screamed at the top of my lungs, just went way overboard. And they liked it so much that they changed the character so that He regularly has these ridiculous meltdowns. So (laughs) the majority of episodes down the line after those first few that we recorded, they would try and fit in some moment for him to scream at his best friend. And that was sort of, I took a little bit of that and channeled that into the ire, but it's like the ire all the time is cranked up to 11. So I think that's maybe the closest character I had to it, but definitely nothing like the ire before him. I mean, it's just, it's so freeing. To be so horrible all the time.
0: <laughs> yeah, because he uh, he's really representative of a, uh, a big population of people. You know, mm-hmm. he's, he's kind of a lot of different characteristics that uh, are pretty abhorrent rolled into one.
3: Yeah, all the uh, worst parts of nerd culture. And, you know, growing up as a quote unquote millennial, which I hate, but... You know, <laughs> terms are terms. Uh, but growing up as a millennial and, and, and coming to age at the time that the internet became the primary source of communication about, in particular, nerd culture, y- you just see so much of that. Um, mm-hmm. And so it's it's fun to kind of hone in on all those things that regularly make me upset as a human being in nerd culture and make that part of the character and really kind of take all of those, the... the the darker sides of pop culture and, and channel that into a character. There's a lot of lines that uh, these guys have written into the script that I swear I've seen on Twitter and Tumblr. And it's, <laughs> it, there's been a couple of times where I'm just like, wait a minute, why does this sound so familiar? <laughs> oh, I know why. I raged about this like three years ago. Cool. Yeah. Awesome.
0: We, we call that our dark research. <laughs> <laughs> Well, Because it's in no way dated. I mean, this episode came out before, uh, you know, Last Jedi and Captain Marvel and yeah. Last of Us 2 and, uh, you know, all, all these, the, the controversy of the week and all of that. But, and it's all the um, same arguments. It's yeah, always it's, the, same it's arguments. the same. I think thing we had a
3: line in there about, like, the all-female Ghostbusters movie, which, to be fair, was a bad movie because it was a bad movie, not because it had an all-female cast. But it was like, you know, you have that same line and that could have happened in 95 that could have happened in 2002 that could have happened in 2008 like we have those arguments all the time so Mm -hmm. it really is a timeless sort of horrible underbelly of nerd culture that he represents Mm
0: -hmm. scott what was going on when you conceived this episode you know what was kind of the the controversy at the time (laughs) <laughs> sorry um, is
1: Chris we know who he's talking to
2: <laughs> right right, right.
1: Scott Prime
4: I was trying to think of that while Mark was talking and I can't remember the specific thing that inspired this I just remember being I think it was I think I think it was episode seven um I'm pretty sure it was like the Ray stuff. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Um, prior to even the last Jedi, like I think it was force awakens, I think is the, the, the main driving force uh, behind my frustration, um, that was, uh, coming out in these people. Um, it was a little bit of that and it was a little bit of like, you know, Ms. Marvel was happening and miles Morales was happening Mm -hmm. in comics. They were like kind of newish characters at that point. Um, and you know, people were claiming, uh, Force diversity, and we're we're saying that uh, they're going to ruin Marvel, and etc. Cetera, etc. Cetera. Disney's um, out
2: to get us. Yeah, yeah,
4: yeah, a lot that of that. Garbage. Um, and so it was like just the start of that. I think it was the combination of Force Awakens and the Ghostbusters reboot were like the two things that were on my mind. Um, when we were writing that, I think. Uh, but it's it, There's been so many. Um, air quote controversies since then (laughs) that uh, I literally cannot remember because it could just be any of them, which actually... Uh, uh, makes me happy that the script is still relevant, but also makes me sad that the it script is, is still relevant. It's, it's evergreen. Exactly.
2: Yeah, yes. yeah. And and you know that's something that I I honed in on while uh, you know again I haven't quite finished it, but in the third part of you know the third part that we just released, um, you know it's not just uh nerd culture; it's it's the internet culture itself. Like the bit where he talks about how his troll farm was used to. You know, it's like, oh yeah, we made we made Avatar like this big cultural phenomenon by by. <laughs> Sort of generating, like, first, like, the the part of the conversation that says, oh, this is so important to me and this means so much, and then also the people that are getting angry at those people and telling them to kill themselves. It's like we play both sides against the middle, and then eventually a natural conversation comes up out of the fire that we started. And it's really interesting that that is exactly how politics on Twitter is and how, ah, well, <laughs> you know, without, without going an entirely unnecessary direction with this commentary show – uh let's just say the ire <laughs> let's would save be the
1: commentary for later the,
3: the, the ire would be
2: would have been heavily involved in politics over the last couple
1: oh
3: of years. no by most the definitely. way like yeah. especially right with the all nose. the talk about like russian troll accounts and all that exactly um, yeah. that's yeah that's the ire all over
2: he, he yeah. has a troll farm he's yeah. like welcome to my troll farm let me show you it
0: corelli
1: i also appreciate the subtlety in the naming of characters in this episode
0: <laughs> <laughs> actually dan Whose yes. name is Chris? Actually, Dan is one of my favorite <laughs> characters, I'm not gonna <laughs> lie. Uh, so, Chris, I want to talk about Gibson because this is uh you know, e- each story arc kind of has a focus on one character, but you know, this one is um is pretty tough on Gibson, honestly. Like he you know, he goes through a lot and he has a big arc, but he's kind of a dick a couple times. Um you know what what do you think about that you know what was uh what was it like like reading this script you know having gotten to know this character and then seeing him sort of this this I guess not necessarily new light but learning more no. about
2: him it, that's that's a light that was there with him and that makes sense and that's there with a lot of us that's there with a lot of people you know everybody is um everybody has uh their their good moments their bad moments but uh you know somebody is is more than the worst thing they've ever done i mean not that you know uh saying the things that he says are are conceivably the worst thing that jeffrey gibson has ever done but uh you know it's just a part of being a, a whole character um and uh I, you know I, I i could um it was fun it was fun to say it was fun to be able to do all that <laughs> stuff to be like uh to be the uh the four you know the thing that everybody's like bouncing off of um and because uh, it's there in like every episode where he's you know sort of a, a clueless uh, jerk, um, and he gets to to say you know little little needling things, and and most of the time the rest of the characters sort of let it roll off. Um, and then in this one it all kind of blows blows up, and it's like you, you need to stop doing this this thing that you've you've always done this thing this uh, you know this thing where we're like okay you know Jay of Jay and Silent Bob it's really funny that you say all these mm-hmm. things all the time, but not really you should grow up and quit being such a dick. (laughs) And, uh, but it's good. It's
4: fun. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. I mean, I think, I think this was always um, in the cards. This is one of the first episodes that I conceived of when I pitched bringing the show back to Nick. Um, You know, I told him about the kinds of episodes we could do. And I think, of the kinds of episodes that we could do. This is the only one that actually went from me pitching to him to becoming an actual episode. Mm -hmm. Um, And one of the, one of the things that I really wanted to make sure that we got right with this. And it's, it's the reason this was one of the scripts that took the longest to write um, this season. And it it definitely held up production uh, this episode. And it was because I basically had to do a page one rewrite because um, you know, it was, it was there. The story was there, but it wasn't going hard enough. And I felt that, you know, we don't have a network looking over our shoulder and saying, you have to make sure those characters are likable all the time, (laughs) or no one's going to watch the show. Um, And I, I I was like, you know, we, we have the benefit of controlling all of this. And so if we're going to like, let's have this character actually say what he would really say, if this is what the story is about and let's go like all the way with this um, and not pull our punches. And so I wanted to really show that like, no Gibson's an asshole, like just full stop. Like he, the guy's an asshole and he needs yeah, his to grow line up. to
0: Gwen at the beginning, like yeah. you have the yeah. and you like them too. So you're checking two boxes. Like yeah. that's really rough. Yeah. Pretty bad. I've yeah. heard people say stuff like that. Like, it's not crazy. It's not out there. It's just, You know, it's it's like disappointing to see in one of your friends. Right.
4: And that's the thing is like, that's what I wanted this to be about is about having that relationship with someone who is like that and trying to come to terms with like, do I want to be friends with this person anymore? Like, is that or, or do I just want to cut my losses and just, you know set them aside and just pretend they don't exist
2: anymore done that Um, a few times
4: right I, i mean i think we all have and and so i really wanted this episode to explore that from both the perspective of the friends dealing with his bullshit and the guy responsible for the bullshit um and really wanted him to figure all of this out and ultimately what this episode to me is about is empathy And learning empathy and learning the value of empathy um, and why we all need to uh, learn that and focus on it and make sure that we're not, um, you know, making people uncomfortable, not because it's like, you know. The oh, you just don't want to be feel uncomfortable, you stupid snowflake. It's it's like no, I mean, just don't make people uncomfortable because it's mean. Like yeah. don't be a dick. Like you know, and that's and that's sort of uh, you know where I was trying to come at this from was just really making sure that we didn't pull our punches with Gibson yeah. and really put him through the ringer as a result of what he did. Yeah,
2: not for nothing, but to, the the world could use a lot more empathy right now.
4: Yeah. Yeah, definitely agree with that.
0: Yeah, it really comes together at the end when Gibson is apologizing to Amanda and he says, you know, I'm scared. I'm very protective of these things that make me feel safe and happy and they're changing without me. And, uh, you know, that I'm I'm acting on that fear. And that's really uh, it's tough to admit, but it's relatable. And that that self-awareness that Gibson comes to at the end um i think is that that empathy that is is tough to apply to this you know you just see the vitriol
2: as as like trite as it is like that uh, fear leads to anger anger leads to hate (laughs) like nobody i mean it it happens every once in a while but very rarely do a lot of the angry hateful shouting people on the internet you know just um, you know admit that there there are things that they're afraid of Mm -hmm. and uh yeah that's that's a big character moment that's uh when when somebody does do that for you and th- and that has happened a couple of times in uh my life where where somebody who has been in some way uh mean or um arguably awful um has has you know, fessed up to the fact that uh they reacted the way they did and that they they treated others the way they did because they're afraid and they didn't know what to do and they lashed out and i mean yeah, that's a that's a big thing. Most people don't 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 fess up to that.
3: Yeah, it's a very real moment that we don't see very often, especially in media, because everyone wants to have their happy ending or everyone wants to kind of gloss over all the darkest parts. And it's it's an important part of life, and I think it's a moment that makes the show so much more real um, mm-hmm. in, in seeing that sort of evolution of Gibson coming to terms with the fact that he's upset because he's losing control and like he doesn't know how to process that and so it comes out as you know just being a dick all the time um we don't see that perspective very often so it's it's as as just as a viewer it's it's been refreshing to see that sort of experience from both perspectives because so often you're the one who's wronged or you're the one who's doing the wronging and it's very Hmm. infrequent that you see both sides of an issue and both sides of an argument. So Yeah,
4: Yeah, it was really important to me to empathize with both sides of what was happening here. Um, And that's not to say, like, you know, (laughs) there are heroes on both sides. Like (laughs) One one of them is clearly in the wrong. And I wanted to make sure that everyone (laughs) knew that one of these people is clearly in the wrong. But I wanted to make people understand because empathizing isn't the same as being like, well, so they're okay then. It's like no you you're mm-hmm. understanding where they're coming from, but you're still recognizing that they're wrong um and I wanted to make sure that we we didn't just you know i don't know play this for a laugh and and uh let uh i don't know bygones be bygones or what have you, but um i I wanted to make sure that we understood where Gibson was coming from, and that took a lot of Nick and I just like back and forth, like trying to figure out like. Where do we think all of this stuff is coming from? You know, like, where is this stemming from? Um, like, how, how, how can we empathize with these people? And luckily, we love Gibson as a character so much that, um, you know, it, he allows us to want to empathize with that perspective, at least to a certain extent. Whereas, like, I don't really care what the hell the
3: eye is going through. <laughs> <laughs> Well, it's a great foil because they're kind of the same person at the beginning of everything. And by the Mm -hmm. end, you realize no, while the ire has absolutely no redeeming qualities, there is something in Gibson that is propelling him forward to be a a functioning, decent human being. Mm -hmm. And I think it's the... I think the responsibility is kind of a big part of that too. I could be wrong. I'm not the writer. But that's what I took away from it is that his... both, Both the responsibility to the the comic book shop and his group of friends as well as you know the things that are starting to happen in their life and 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 that's something that the ire doesn't have he doesn't really have anything to work forward to other than his own ambitions Mm -hmm. so he doesn't have anything to keep him grounded unlike gibson right there's no moral line there right
0: because the ire, even, he, he even says near the end of the episode, like, I, I want a world where we can do or say what we want without repercussions. Right. You know, he he doesn't have anyone to answer to. And what I like about the end of the episode with Gibson is that it's okay for there to be repercussions. Like, it's okay to say, you know what, what I'm doing is hurting people that I care about, so I'm not going to do it. You know, it's easy to do and it's it's my gut reaction, but I'm not going to do it anymore. Mm-hmm. And um, it's it was... It's nice to see that that difference in the two of them, even though you're right mark they they really were on the same page for most of the episode and i I
4: just really like uh in terms of you know uh talking about the different the different ways that the characters operate in this episode, I also just like that max is. <laughs> like the opposite of of the ire in that like he's he's bad and he has no idea why he's bad or or what he's really even saying most of the it time he doesn't have a goal yeah there's no goal
2: he just he's just gonna saying, make more money selling comics he's just saying
4: awful <laughs> things and constantly putting his foot in his mouth um because what he's saying isn't actually what he's meaning and it's I, I just, I love him to death. He's the best.
3: It feels kind of like Max is living in the future and the Ire is living in the moment. Uh-huh. I think that's like a good defining difference between the two of them because Max knows what he wants. He's not sure how to get there, but he knows what he wants. The Ayer kind of knows what he wants, but he's so focused on what's going on right now that he can't make a long-term plan with any sort of, you know, feasible outcome that would be what he wants. Right.
2: I mean, he got Avatar nominated for Best Picture, so true. That, that, <laughs> that does speak to some I ability mean, to plan.
3: That's that's that was the end of his plan. Everything after that, Probably he's just had an,
2: it. an undue effect on the 2016 election.
3: Uh, Avatar? So, yes, Avatar. Avatar, Avatar is, is the biggest factor in 20. But her navi. <laughs> but her anyway. Navi. <laughs>
0: anyway. So, I'm going to talk about Max. Uh, okay. You know he is uh, a lot of people's favorite character. Um, he is just a uh, he's just my large favorite life. Aww. Um And uh, you know, you don't talk like Max. You know you you you're <laughs> acting. What I'm getting at is like, how how did you build this character? Like, what are you thinking oh, about? Or, you I
1: know? I wish to God I had like some deep philosophical answer for this, but <laughs> I literally read the lines on the page and I'm like, oh, he sounds like a Hanna Barbera villain. So yeah. we're going to make him ahead of our villain. Very true. <laughs> you know, I'm not I'm not an actor. I you know, I did Buffy Between the Lions because I like I, I wanted to try something new and then I got this, and I'm like, holy crap, I have a I guess you a, act, a, you're an a actor prominent role on a show. That's <laughs> weird. It's like one of those things when you're a kid, like, I'm gonna do this, I'm gonna be a spaceman, I'm gonna be president, I'm gonna be a voice actor. And okay. <laughs> still the only voice acting I've ever done um but Hmm. i i like i didn't really sit down and analyze max i just kind of when i'd read the script it sort of resonated with me that here's a dude that just wants all the toys like literally all he wants is all the toys and he wants to show them off and say look i've got all the toys um and he's he's just never like aware enough of of what is going on in the world to like it it's i don't know it's uh he's just he's just dumb he's just a dumb <laughs> guy who wants all the toys and he has a big deep voice and he's maybe maybe a little ambiguous as to uh uh you know certain leanings is kind of how yeah. I always well, played him in my head
2: i'm I'm just glad he's not that malicious you know, cause, mm-hmm. cause no consider, considering his power the things he could do if he if he had a an ounce more ambition and and a little Um, I'm not entirely sure what to say about what he would need, but, but his power could be very awful, but he's fortunately just kind of a doofus.
1: He's so dumb that he just, he has the greatest power, perhaps out of all the underdogs and he just (laughs) wants all the toys. (laughs) That's literally it. That's what makes him happy.
2: He's like and he wants around. to
1: buy them fair and square, even <laughs> if it is only for a yeah, dollar.
2: Exactly. <laughs> he's, like, walking around Comic-Con with, like, the, the Red Rider wagon, and he's just yeah. filling it up with statues. Yeah.
1: And, I mean, the only other thing I can really, from, a, like, a character study standpoint, is back in the first show, all those ages ago in the before times, um, I always looked at Max as, like, desperately needing Billy. Like, that was, like, his... Mm. His security blanket is the approval of this one other guy, and I don't think we ever finished the first show, Mm -mm. but I always did get inklings that Billy was more than he was led on to be. Mm Mm-hmm and it was sort of nice to see that. As he always was. was. Mm-hmm. I know, but I didn't know. <laughs> well, we we
4: did write the script where that reveal happened, and it was sent out, and then the show was canceled shortly after that because my computer went kaput and we lost that. Like, oh, yeah, that's right. Like three Everything. episodes of recordings. Um, Including
1: one that Chris wrote, I think. Yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> yeah. Chris wrote
4: a two-parter. was um, awesome. It was really fun, yeah. And it'll was it never rain see the light of day. Yeah, it was rain yeah. rain hard and rain harder. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, <laughs> Those uh, those were good episodes. Um, yeah, I, 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 I love Max. Uh, I, I, I think that he's a really fun character to write. And there was never I, I mean, I think what what he does is weirdly um, ground the show in that it's like it, he's the constant reminder that this is a comedy. Like, yeah, first and foremost, this show needs to be a comedy. And so there is a lot of dramatic stuff that happens. But first and foremost, like this needs to be a comedy. And Max allows us to remember that every once in a while <laughs> because he can't help but be a doofus. Um, yeah. But he's a lovable doofus. And, yeah. you know, he's not evil. He's just like. It it it's
1: like it's a just kid. How I'm drawn. It's like a kid.
4: <laughs> it's like a kid made a wish to be uh, an adult, and uh, and then and, and you know never went back home. Just
1: oh my god, someone should make that movie. <laughs> <laughs> um, so
4: yeah. it's uh, it's it's great to write him. His his scenes are always. Um, the most fun and, and we're working on season two right now and Max is very down and out and it's been uh, really fun stuff to write. I
1: haven't I haven't read it. So I'm very excited. Yeah, very excited.
4: Max is a down, being down and out has been really, really fun. And oh, uh, God, uh, it's been it's been exciting. Um, and, you know, and going back to like just Tofty's performance as Max. I just have to say, and I brought this up in the last episode, but I want to say it now in front of in front of Tofty because um, I know he won't go back and listen to that episode. He's a busy guy, <laughs> which is which is part of uh, part of the thing. But um is very, very busy uh, in, in life. He has a lot of plates that he's spinning. And so um, he comes to the table readings very rarely. And, uh, uh, and so most of the time he will just record his lines, which is fine because it comes very naturally to him and it comes so naturally that most of the time he is reading the script for the very first time while (laughs) recording the lines
0: and there'll be many times
4: where he will say the line. And then after he says it, he'll laugh to himself and go, that's pretty funny. (laughs) (laughs) But it's – and then that will be the version that I use.
1: I use the first take almost always because he's so <laughs> freaking good. Aw. Why thank you. Yeah. Like I said, acting.
2: <laughs> if you do it, if, you are. Yeah.
1: yeah it's – I mean – and it's it, – Max is so over the top that it – like if I had to do any kind of nuance or subtlety, I don't think I could do it. Like Jeff Gibson is is such a – there's so much going on in that character and you have to play like Elliot too. Like you have to do all those um and oh my god, Simon, talk about geez Ah and, and Naomi with Lorelei. They're all so much deeper than Max. My <laughs> guy is easy to play. I'm just putting that out there. He's such a doofus. Well, you like, play
4: him well. I why, think you, you make him look easy. I don't think it would be easy for anyone else. I think it's just easy oh, for you.
1: Well, that's sweet.
2: Thank you. Scott, can you twirl your mustache?
1: I can twirl my mustache. I have a mustache. <laughs> and long time a twirl. And I'd always pictured. I wasn't sure if Max had a ponytail or not, but I kind of oh, thought knows. like he tried really hard to have a ponytail, <laughs> but like some of it just didn't quite stay back. Mm-hmm. like so we had to grease it like that's how I like I'm I like I feel like I look like Max except I think like Max should weigh like another 60 pounds. Yeah,
4: <laughs> yeah I mean I I've always I've always, if if I've always said that if we ever got the chance to make a live action uh geek by night and I couldn't cast all of the people who are currently playing those characters for whatever reason, I'm far uh, too expensive. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Well, yeah. Me. I yeah. I would always say that uh I I'd always said that Kevin Smith should play Max. Yeah, um, I did absolutely say <laughs> <see okay>. that. <laughs> That's yeah. that's kind of like the vibe, That'd right? That'd be great.
1: Yeah.
0: He might do it
1: too. <laughs> <laughs> Everyone's bored right now. I bet you we could ask him tomorrow and he'd do it.
0: Right. <laughs> he could do it over Zoom. I'm sure he's good. But then Wait, you, no, then no. you lose then your then job. And I'm out of a job. Yeah.
3: <laughs>
1: no, no. Yeah, Mark, no. No, no,
0: <gasps> the, Well, the thing is, he wouldn't be as good as you. <gasps> he Can
3: just... Max
1: have a twin brother?
3: <laughs> Sax. His name is Sax.
1: And it's, it's Kevin Smith. Wait a minute. I'm loving this idea. Sacks Hang on. I'm writing Michael. an email.
2: Oh, man. You've been very successful with those emails. That's
0: true. <laughs> That's true. <laughs> so uh, I want to move on to music because uh, since we have Tofty on here, we got to talk about this. And, oh God, uh, we got to hear from that guy again. <laughs> <laughs> you know, like one, one of the things I was thinking about with Max is that like, there's kind of this, um this audible vocabulary to it. That like, as soon as you hear his song, it's like, oh, okay, this is a Max scene. Like you can kind of relax. and like, you know, it's, it, you know, you talk about it being easy from your perspective, but it's easy from a listener's perspective too. That like, you know, we get to enjoy ourselves this bit, especially during a heavy episode. Um, but with with all the different music themes and stuff like that, the the first thing I really want to ask is, what do you listen to for inspiration? You know, do you do you listen to to movie scores and TV scores? Do you just, you know, just regular artists or
1: what? So. I mean, for th- I, I'm a huge fan of movie music, but not to like the obsessive point that you'd like. I didn't. I clearly didn't go into it for a career. Like I teach <laughs> middle school band, so like I'm not out scoring things on the regular. But like I love John Williams. I love Alan Silvestri. I love uh, Danny Elfman. Like the stuff that those guys do. John <laughs> Dupre. I. Love John Dupre, let me tell you. <laughs> Speaking my language uh, right
3: now.
1: <laughs> yeah, more on that later. Um, but, like any of these guys who are sort of melodic craftsmen, I'm a big fan of. Okay, so have you ever seen Forgetting Sarah Marshall? Yes. Mm-hmm. Okay, so what's his name is a composer for a TV show and literally just sits uh, there hitting Siegel, Jason Siegel. What's <laughs> go- yeah. go- go- yeah. yeah. his name? I almost his, said yeah. Seth
2: Rogan, but that's not right.
1: No, the other one. Same thing. What's the same sprout? guy? Yeah. Large, slubby yeah. yeah. guy. Yeah, yeah. He, his character is this composer for a TV show, and he just sits there and he hits like one piano note. Yeah, and like that <laughs> resonates with me because I'm like, I hear a lot of that in movies nowadays. Mood music. TV. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's mood music, and I didn't want to make mood music. I wanted to make something you could play in, you know, you could listen to for fun. Uh, or listen to in a concert hall, or you know, throw in the car as you're driving, and you could if you buy the soundtracks on my website. <laughs> uh, <laughs> so but, no theremin. No, I mean no, not really. I mean, you I can make you a melody out of
3: that if you try hard enough. No, but
1: uh, like I, I look <laughs> no, at the couldn't. Marvel movies now, and I, for the life of you, for the life of me, not for the life of you, I couldn't hum a tune from from the Marvel films. Dun, it to me dun, is dun. just. It's, 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 there's like that one theme and then nothing else. But like you listen to Batman 89, you listen to, you know. I can do Ant-Man right now. I can't. (laughs) can't, And I've seen it several times. Ants. And I'm not knocking (laughs) it, but like there's a certain. Portals, man. (laughs) There's a certain wheelhouse that my brain lives in. And it's like the John Williams, John Dupre, (laughs) Danny Hmm. Elfman. uh, The Princess Bride score was, that was probably the one that I think of, and I don't know if I know it, knew it at the time, but it like the instrumentation, all my instruments are digital instruments in the computer. And to my ear, it sounds like the princess bride score. Cause that's all synthesized instruments and in, like one acoustic guitar. Mm-hmm. And I don't really think that I consciously drew inspiration from that, but the more I listen to this and the more I watch that, it kind of, there are some interesting parallels okay. tonally. Um, and, not as stylistically as much um, just ma- like structurally in the way mm-hmm. that I do stuff. Like I would try to listen for story beats, pauses, um, you know, suspenseful moments and hit that stuff. But a lot of times it was just like creating something that's catchy, but not so catchy that it pulls people away from the dialogue. Mm-hmm. Hmm. You know, one of my favorite pieces I did, I think it was, um, it's called Swift Jazz. Mm-hmm. And I think it's yep. Simon – or Lorelai – someone was waking up and like making coffee in the morning or something mm-hmm. and it's it's just – it's like the powers theme with Lorelai's theme but just set to a really slow kind of jazzy mm-hmm. like vibing kind of thing and it just was like fun. Mm-hmm. Lorelai's theme was yep. a lot of fun. I was just ripping off Doctor Who. <laughs> Max is just Ma, – Ma, Max is if you take your piano, like you take two hands on a piano, and you just go boonk, bang boonk, bang and you don't know what you're doing. <laughs> like, that's like a kid playing on a piano who's never seen a piano before is going to do this. That's kind of like what Max is. That's sort of what I was going for.
0: Do you so, experiment a lot like that? Like, if, you know, do you have a scene you're like – do you iterate on it a lot or do So you...
1: a lot of what I would do is the, – the first thing I'll do is – man, you're going back a couple of years since I scored one of these things. Um, I would listen to the scene and if I, you know, initially I'm trying to like hum a melody or think up a melodic idea in my head. And if nothing comes from that, I will literally just play the scene and just noodle on a piano and record it. Um, and I'm not a piano player, so it's usually awful. Um, And then out of that, I can sort of mark where moments happen. If I'm just sort of improvising, I can and I hear the dialogue ramping up. I can play louder or play faster, and that kind of gives me a structural framework to go back to. Um, and and that's when I can sort of go in and I can decide: Am I, you know, in a major key, a minor key? Is it fast? What's my instrumentation? Come up with mo- melodic motifs and rhythmic figures um, and things like that. So most of the time, that's what I'm doing. Is I'm, I'm I'm looking at the scene or I'm, I'm listening to the dialogue that Corelli sends me that's recorded and I'm improvising to find structure and then going back and, and fleshing it out. Mm-hmm. Sometimes uh, I write a concert piece. The underdog theme mm. I, it goes with nothing. I literally had a melody and wrote the full piece with no scene behind it. I was just like, this is the underdogs theme. This is the notes in their theme and I'll figure out how to use it later. Hmm. And I wrote an entire like John Williams introductory March on that theme and had to figure out where the hell to shoehorn it into what episode. It wasn't (laughs) written specifically for a scene. It was just written.
0: Yeah. Do uh, this is for both of the Scots. Do do you guys work together to determine, um, you know, what music is going to be used for a certain scene or is it kind of like you, record the dialogue and you, you sort of pass it.
4: I think it was like that at first we would go back and forth a little bit, but I think at a certain point around like around, I would say episode five, which ghost story, which we'll be talking about next time. Um, I think around there is when, Tofty, I think just like we we just sort of like synced up, and Tofty knows what I like and knows what I'm looking for, and I think that was the first one that he sent me that I gave like no notes on whatsoever.
1: I feel um, like it also happened a little bit out of necessity because you know as we started working on this, like you said i'm I'm busy, not like mm-hmm. other people aren't, but like i my attention wanes and drifts I'm not you know quote reliable with <laughs> <designs>. <laughs> so like at some point like i don't know if corelli noticed I, like i just started slipping more and more like previously used music into the episodes like the first two episodes is all brand new stuff and then by like episode three That's it's right. like oh we used this one before but maybe i'll use like the last 30 seconds of it
4: mm-hmm. and
1: then it was like more of those and then as he kept going like yeah cool great i was like sweet um and then i guess yeah around episode 5 is just sort of where like i my, my mandate became like i'm going to write two big pieces per episode or something mm-hmm. like that around that like okay. two big new ones per episode and then use Kind of different parts of the library from earlier episodes, which is I think pretty common in most like yeah. television shows or things like that. Like the Powers
0: theme, you know,
1: comes up a lot. Yeah, and Max's theme,
4: Lorelai's mm-hmm. theme,
1: yeah. All and that then stuff I also bad. had the ability I could shift tempos on those and like sort of rearrange right. them and things like that. But the fifth episode, I think, is where the the library of music was big enough mm-hmm. that um, it didn't have to be a conversation every single episode about what kind of music we wanted because mm-hmm. we. We had stock music and it could be placed pretty easily because they were all character themes for the most part.
4: Also, one thing that he's not mentioning is that most of this show was uh, scored while he was on lunch break at his uh, school in between classes. (laughs) He would often be like. Uh, I'm on. I'm on. Uh, I'm on lunch break. Let me see wh- how much I can get done, and then he'd be like, "All right, here you go," and he'd
1: send it yeah. to me. I'm like, "All right, cool." <laughs> and, and then, not for nothing, I was also doing the final mix of every show, also. Mm-hmm. So, like, once all the sound effects <laughs> and the music mm-hmm. and the dialogue are in there, I'm like EQing everyone's voices mm-hmm. to make sure, like, we're in ten different houses with thirty different microphones. Yeah. Like, nobody sounds the same. So, I'm like trying to get everyone's tonality to match and mm-hmm. the levels and balancing everything. So, I'm doing all of that stuff. While scoring on my lunch break from teaching and playing in a band and writing an album. Sound mm-hmm. is hard. <laughs> yeah, it's fun, but I learned I learned a lot doing this um from a production standpoint and from a compositional standpoint to the point where you know, I I did start writing all these themes for podcasts yeah. the exact same way that I do for Geek by Night. And uh I, I'm currently That scoring. one for
2: that thing that we're doing, how quickly did you whip out that first one the, the first couple of like that was
1: uh, you, Yeah, you so you I'm I'm actually doing, doing
2: like, in four or five hours, right?
1: Yeah. Huh. Chris and I are are doing a thing now for our podcast. Um Shh. and it requires some original music, and it's the first <laughs> scoring I've done since Geek by Night. And I just I, – that muscle is there, and it, it feels so much stronger because of all the work I did on Geek by Night.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Um, yeah. Geek by Night was awesome, and I miss it. I'm really excited for it what you come awesome. up with in Season 2. Yeah. Give me no deadlines, and <laughs> I, will, I will do my best. <laughs> No, no. no. You're, I've you're learned funny, a long time.
4: Scott. I've learned a long time ago. I have to give you deadlines. It's just that I give you deadlines earlier than I exactly. actually want them to be yeah. done.
3: It's a fake yeah. deadline.
4: Yeah, it's a fake yeah. deadline. Yeah, I gotta. I have to give you like a, a dead drop Don't deadline. Tell him that. It's <laughs> like telling that's the, somebody they're getting the placebo.
1: That's the opposite <laughs> of Scotty in Star Trek. He's like, yeah, I'll tell him it's going to take ten days. It's only going to take me three. <laughs> <laughs>
4: that's how you become
1: Under-sell a miracle. Yeah. Delivery
0: up.
4: I'm going to tell him I need it in in in, in two weeks, but really. I don't need it for a couple of months. It's fine. Yeah, that's probably <laughs> the best.
0: And uh it got plugged earlier, but I'm gonna plug it again. Um ScottTofty.com, the two uh volumes of the Geek by Night soundtrack are really great to listen to. They're so um, good. There's like forty five songs between the two. It's
1: yeah. a lot. Yeah, the, it's uh Scott if you want to go gotcha. straight to the music. Uh T O F T E is my last name. And but if I yeah, want man, a I copy. was actually
3: if I want a copy of each soundtrack on vinyl, uh, how much oh is that going to set dude. back? <laughs> so,
1: listen, I was literally thinking about that today. Vinyl is expensive; it one. really is. But like when I put these things up for sale, I think two people bought it. I would love people to like just go get this music. I I think it's even up there. I think it's five dollars for each one or yeah. something. Mm-hmm. Ten
0: bucks for the for both volumes, and yeah. it's it's like it's it is like
1: forty songs, and it's over well over an hour and a half of music granted Mm -hmm. they're all super short songs but like i actually at one point started arranging the uh the underdog theme for a full orchestra with the hopes of getting enough players to actually perform it live and record it that's Uh, so cool it, it hasn't happened yet
3: I'm What's just like, going to say I, I play piano, guitar and clarinet. So <laughs> I play violin. So, yeah.
1: Nice. I, I, right. I uh,
4: yeah, it's uh the other thing too is that he he designed the albums to be listened to as albums. So, it's not yep. like he just put them all on there in order of how they arrived in the in the show. He put them on there um in, in, <laughs> in, in <laughs> or, he put them on in an order that he felt like worked as an album. Um, I forgot that, that. that. Well, because yeah, you get right?
0: like the the Lorelai's ghosts and then the the mostly ghostlies all together. It's really cool. Yeah, like just yeah. listening I to actually, them in order. Yeah.
1: I mean, I also made an effort. I mean, I don't remember making an album out of it, as far as, uh, but if Scott says I did, then I did. Um, <laughs> I I also cut out a lot of stuff because there's a lot of sort of variations on these that just sort of seemed. Like we don't we don't need to have the 10-second version of Lorelei's really slow sad theme, so we'll just leave that <laughs> out. Um, and then other ones lie. I combined together. One of my favorites, by the way, uh, Mark is the eight bit IRE theme, the yes. video game yes. IRE oh theme my that I did. God, when I heard Which, that,
3: I was like, no. <laughs> I only
1: did because I found that synthesizer online like the day I was just I was like, I want to do something different i was like oh my god they have a nintendo synthesizer i'm using
3: it (laughs) it's so good because um i this is not about me i know but i just want to i i relate to you a lot because i i've been playing piano since i was like eight and did did the music track and i'm sure broke my dad's heart when i told him i wanted to be an actor um (laughs) but i also did a, a a radio play of my own a few years back and and my my best friend austin lee matthews i had him do the music for that. And it's a similar process as what you guys do here, except I also would occasionally write music. And it would be one of those things where it was like, this is not for any particular scene. I'm just struck with this idea, you know, related to this project. And so we had this large repertoire of, of music built up and some of it was written by me, but like 95% of it was written by Austin. And, um, he was like, one day he was like, can I just start releasing the music? And I was like, uh, I mean, yeah, Do you think people want to listen to it. And he's like, yeah. So like he constructed all these albums. And so it's, it's a very similar process where it's like, you know, as a, as a creator, getting a musician who's excited about the project that you're working on is so refreshing because it just means you can kind of just once once you're both kind of on that same wavelength, you just go here, have fun, go create
1: yeah it's uh it was a lot of fun it, it you know this project let me put composer in my twitter bio so that's super important <laughs> that's the most <laughs> important thing yeah
2: not too many people get to do that yeah i mean Being anybody Sean could Dupre, do it if they wanted about to. it <laughs> john, john Dupre,
1: who composed the music for teenage mutant ninja turtles and also like spam a lot and stuff yeah mm. it's okay
4: he's a what uh
0: so I want to end things on a really positive note here. Uh, this episode has a lot to do with like toxic communities and, and fandoms and stuff like that. And uh, we did this on the last episode when talking about like the, the liberty and justice sagas. But since we have some new guests here, I want to ask again, um, what is uh, an internet story that you experienced that's particularly uh, hopeful or wholesome or positive that we can kind of um, uh, balance out some of the the vitriol that we discussed and listened to with this episode Uh, or maybe like a, a really great fandom that you uh, participate in. (laughs)
2: Oh, okay. So I don't need to do John Krasinski's some good news. I can just talk about (laughs) what makes me happy. All right.
3: There's a video and I think it's maybe about a year, maybe a year and a half old now. Uh, But there's a video of a VR chat uh, where a streamer was just streaming and, and hopped into VR chat and he encountered this kid, and I, I only remember the kid's name was Joey. Um, he was like five years old, and he was so excited to teach people how to play this game that the streamer just tagged along with him, so they played for like three hours, and <laughs> it is one of the most heartwarming videos on the internet. There's like a highlight video of it. I wish I could remember specifically what it was called. It was like Joey in VR Chat or something. He had like this little cat avatar, and he's like, he's like okay, so what you want to do is you want to take the bomb, and then you throw it over the fence. And like, it's just, he's so excited about it. And it is just the complete and pure wonder of a child having fun in a creative environment and, and being excited about teaching other people how to do that. And apparently this kid got like a ton of fan letters after that video went up. <laughs> uh, his parents were like super grateful. But that was, that was one of those things where it was like, the internet can do two things with this video. They can either embrace it and celebrate mm-hmm. it or absolutely tarnish this child's life and I'm really happy they embraced it and celebrated it. <laughs> Cuz it's so easy for especially for kids on the internet to become victims to teasing and it was just so heartwarming to see how many people were just like, "Oh, Joey's awesome. You're my hero, Joey." <laughs> and like he's just it's it's very very refreshing.
0: Mm-hmm. Who's next? Chris or
1: Tofte? Um I'll go. Unless Chris wants to go. Chris, you want to go? I'm still thinking. I'll go. I'm gonna go a little different route. I mean <laughs> you're asking me to remember something I saw on the internet, which you don't know about my memory. It's awful, so I I'm not gonna do that. But what I up. will say <laughs> is the internet has brought me some some pretty awesome stuff, and a lot of it started via Geek by Night. So via Geek by Night I get to know Corelli, who now I've not only composed and acted for, uh, but have written songs for, have 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 done, you know, artwork for. I got to know Chris. Uh, and Rachel from the show and Ray from the show. And, you know, Chris and Rachel and I now have a, another podcast that is a huge part of my online presence, uh, which has led me to a Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles Minute, by the way. You took my uh, answer. <laughs> which has led me to actual real life friends that I've met. Our our buddy Ralph, you know, Rachel's boyfriend, Adam, who's now a good buddy of ours and and all the cool stuff that we've gotten to do. Because of this silly little thing with the internet, with a bunch of people that, for the most part, I've never met in real life. I've never met Corelli, I, Mark. This is the first time I've seen your face. Yeah, nice but to meet we you. We were on a show together. Was like, <laughs> cool. like Chris and I have hung out once, um, one time. But like, I it's it's this awesome. I got thing. really and, drunk. <laughs> <laughs> yes, you did. <laughs> and it's on audio forever <laughs> for people to listen to. <laughs> Um,
0: but yeah, and man, I. it's
1: it's it's brought me into this world of podcasting and and the the Ninja Turtles fandom specifically, which I've learned is this super awesome, incredible. At least the people that listen to our show, incredibly positive. Yeah, like they like our show has been on hiatus for almost a year, and people are still like posting stuff for the Facebook group, like checking in on That's people, awesome. like. I mentioned I'm a teacher, and one of the girls in the Facebook group was like, "Here are some resources that you might be interested in." My daughter, or whatever, is a teacher, and I was like, "That's awesome!" So, <laughs> internet, internet does some good sometimes. Mm-hmm.
0: Yeah, yeah. Very
1: okay, cool, Chris. Oh, I'm sorry if I stole your answer. <laughs> That's okay. Yeah,
2: well, you did. <laughs> You did steal my answer, and uh, yeah, the Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles uh, online fandom is surprisingly positive. I- I'm sure there's dark corners of it somewhere that hate us, but <laughs> well, <laughs> we like, haven't we haven't found them, so hooray. There's um, even the guy who wrote a review of us.
1: I don't want to make this about us, but I'm going to. There's a guy who wrote a review of us about, like, oh, the show is too political, blah, 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 and, like, we railed on him in an episode. We're like, you know, it's our show. Like, we're, we made, like, a joke like, twice. Like, get over it. And then, like, a week later, he, like, amended his thing. I'm sorry. It's actually, I have a lot of fun. This is a good show. (laughs) That's awesome. Even the troll was like, eh, I was out of line. I'm sorry.
2: (laughs) Very Canadian. I'm sorry about that review. (laughs) Sorry. I'm going to revise that back up from a one star to a four. Okay. Uh, All right. uh, Any, uh... um, Oh, well, I guess, uh, yeah, uh. Apart from Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles, there's this really adorable picture of a baby making pizza. If you haven't seen that one yet, <laughs> seek it out. Oh,
3: I did it's, see that.
2: It's so it's so cute. It's so sweet. I want to make my kitty. I want to make my kid make pizza now.
1: Scott, I think this would be a really good opportunity to do a like a 15 minute mini quarantine live action geek by night episode. I'm just saying. <laughs> yeah
4: uh, yeah i mean you're not wrong but <laughs> no uh, one's
1: gonna expect it to be high quality
4: <laughs> we're also we're also uh uh i i think at some point we'll probably do we'll we'll do i yeah that's not a bad idea I'll... <laughs>
3: snl can do it we can do it
0: yeah yeah I, I, communities read through just came out today and apparently it's yeah. great Yeah. yeah oh yeah it yeah. would be really fun to read
1: uh, maybe rewrite and read Chris's old episodes with the oh! current cast as a table reader.
2: <laughs> if we can find it, I don't know if it's still... I think we it might just,
4: be... I think
1: I might
2: have it on an external drive somewhere. it might, back together it from memory. Be, it'll be it awesome. Mi- <laughs> uh, uh, it might be in my... G. I think it's in my Gmail archive.
3: I just give them the bullet points and let everybody ad-lib it, you know? that yeah. oh, was, yes. was
2: oddly complicated.
1: <laughs> <laughs>
2: oh, oh cool. man.
4: Uh, I like actually, actually, I was, I, I am planning on releasing the, uh, re-releasing the original show on Patreon. Um, Uh-oh. so maybe we could do like a live read of all the episodes we never recorded
0: uh-huh. of the old show, because yeah, then table read it. Then, it's very No, no extra yeah. work. I like <laughs> yeah. that. I like. <laughs> yeah. I'm in
4: the middle of writing a season two. I, uh, I like the no work <laughs> thing. I like. That. I like this plan. It's a good plan. Uh, okay. All right. All right. Glad to be a part of it. Okay.
1: Yeah. This is how we do things on geek by night. We just pitch (laughs) ideas and hope that Scott (laughs) freaks out and actually does them. Yeah. Like, there's no. Uh, you just Scott, take a handful that, Scott, of darts. No, I felt okay. I bet I could even
4: get um our our you know our uh, for those of you who don't know, I don't know if anyone doesn't know this at this point, but our artist, the guy who who drew like our season one artwork and stuff, he was Elliot in the original show. Oh really? Um, oh he, yeah. He played Elliot in the original show, and he just didn't have time to do it this time, which is why we audition people. And um, can Elliot mad.
1: have a twin brother? <laughs> Smelly. Well, <laughs> all right.
4: Stop Call pitching back. that. you.
1: <laughs> <laughs> um, so the, uh, just need uh, to have uh so,
4: win so the yeah, we could probably even course. get Kevin to come back and play Elliot in those live reads, like just to, you know, Oh, Kevin fine. Smith. Th-
3: yeah. Yes. Yeah, well,
4: no, Kevin no. Ziegler, but yeah. Um, anyway. All right. This has gone off the rails. That's interesting.
0: Okay. <laughs> Does anybody have any last thoughts or bookends on, um, under the bridge to add? Talked about a lot. Uh,
2: I used to know how to play that song. <laughs>
4: I'm really proud of this episode. Honestly, though, like I, I've been proud of everything up to this point, but I think this was the first episode that I was like, "Okay, this is what the new show is. Like, this is this is the one." Um, and did, then going forward, forward from this, I feel like every episode after this gets um, progressively better, in my opinion. Agreed. So uh, I'm I'm really proud of this one as like. Um, yeah, this was the one where we sort of planted our flag and said, like, this is what we're trying to do with this show. This is what we're trying to talk about. This is this is the kind of stuff we're trying to tackle. Um, and so I'm I'm really, really proud of this episode. And then I think we take it uh, a step further each episode. So I'm, I'm just I, I'm really happy with this one. I love this episode.
1: I'm going to have to go me back too. and listen to all of these again because, like I said, my memory is terrible. And now
3: I just – it's like listening to it for the first time. It's going to be great. See, I, I especially I don't knowing what happens later in the
0: season. It's really fun. I don't remember. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I, I don't necessarily
3: God. remember all the moments, but I remember how I felt. Mm-hmm. And I, I remember very specifically when this episode came out. Just It stands out even just as an ensemble piece in the world of, of radio plays. And I'm not just saying this because I want Scott to use me more. But, like, significantly, I was very impressed when I heard this episode and started I, – I will, I will admit to having not fully followed the production of the show prior to this episode. Mm-hmm. I think probably legitimate reason being that I didn't know about it until I was auditioning for it. Um, sure. But I it was – there's, there's this thing in the voice actor world where you do a lot of auditions and then you book something and you're like, cool, I have no idea what this is about, but I have no time to look into <laughs> it, so I'm just going to wait for the script. Uh, and that was kind of so what I've this been was. So I've been doing it right. Huh? <laughs> I said, so I've been doing it <laughs> yeah, right. Yeah, exactly, exactly. You're, you're the <laughs> utmost professional, Taffy. <laughs> <laughs> but What's but after top? hearing this episode, I really did go back and, and listen to the whole show because it was like, man, these guys are, this is, this is amazing. Like the... the just, it's really hard to write something with, especially with this many characters, and make you care about all of them. Yeah, um, that
0: like actually affects you. Yeah,
3: and so I was, I was extremely impressed, and it, and it made me go back and, and, listen to everything. So I'm really excited about what season two has to hold.
4: Well, thanks, yeah. Mark. I'm, I'm excited to share it with everybody. This was. I'm the, excited uh, the to the be late
3: in delivering my
2: parts. <laughs> 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 I'll be
4: on time.
2: I promise. <laughs>
4: Hey, yeah, uh, 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 Corelli, can I uh, record my lines as I'm writing the music and uh, doing the export? Is that Can I just do that? Is that fine? It's it's going to be a concept <laughs> album,
3: all right? Listen, the only time I had to record this week was when I was in the bathroom, so I hope the echo is not going to be a problem. Right. Uh, We're
0: gonna no, the so that's that the one thing Tofty would never do. I um.
3: actually wrote in a scene where I can use this toilet flush sound effect because I recorded it live, so... <laughs>
1: Yeah, I will say that was like my one thing was just being super, uh, again, sorry if we're talking about toilets, but super anal about uh, recording quality. <laughs> <Yeah>.
3: <laughs> no, I feel that.
0: I feel that a lot. Yeah. <laughs> well done. Mm-hmm. Yeah.
3: <laughs> it's
1: fun. I miss the show. I'm glad. I'm excited to be doing season two. Um, I wish we were doing seasons three and four and five, but none of us have that kind of time. No. I mean, look,
3: <laughs> if it takes us 50 years, I'll do it as long as it doesn't, you know. Co's Scott you... to pull his hair out and go bald.
1: <laughs> Where do you think geek by night is going to be in another 15 years? Corelli.
4: Hopefully, <laughs> hopefully a TV show. <laughs>
1: uh, Hell yeah. <laughs> yeah. As soon as I'm done with, with all of this, the first thing I'm doing is writing a pilot. Um, so all right. What yes. can I do? and how can i help and that's i'll i'll end it on that that's my f- final <laughs> contribution whatever you need i'll do it <laughs> all right fair enough and then 15 even if i years, don't know how to do it yet 15 I'll, I'll, years
3: after that i want it on like a gold record being shot into space so
0: mm-hmm. i mean that's the ultimate dream for all things is. right yeah, yeah absolutely <laughs> all right thank right, guys years. <laughs> Clock's ticking. I think that's all we have. We'll get uh, there. <laughs> all we have time for. Um, but thank you again to our guests, uh, Scott Corelli, Chris O'Connor, Scott Tofty, Mark Allen Jr. for joining me today and thank you to all of you the fans, the underdogs for listening today. If you'd like to support the show, please join the Dueling Genre Patreon at duelinggenre.com/support. You can also tell your friends, families, and followers to subscribe to Geek by Night on iTunes, Spotify, Stitcher, or wherever else you get your podcasts. So uh, thanks for going Beyond Geek by Night with us. See you next time.